Imagine a relationship that really does change everything. All the way through your journey, there's different people, different situations. Maybe it was someone you fell in love with. Maybe it was a boss. Maybe it was a coach. But somehow, this relationship changed everything in your life. The problem is, even with the best of relationships, people fail. Or scenarios don't always work out to be the best. And and sometimes there's disappointment. But this relationship that Pastor John has been talking about, it's a relationship with Jesus. It's with Jesus. But Pastor John knows about that relationship and loves Jesus with all of his heart. He's bringing this letter to a close. But his whole letter, he has been passionately trying to help the folks in his church, probably Ephesus, but also help us to remind us that there is joy when you walk with Jesus. There's joy. There's fulfillment. There's something so very, very special. I hope this book, if you've been with us for the majority of the study, has inspired you, has convicted you. And honestly, I hope your Bibles are all marked up. Before we open this last part, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you for, well, desiring a relationship with us. If we're honest, we don't completely understand you. We don't understand how you could have existed, well, forever. How three of you are God and one of you are God how you give us free will and yet you predestine us. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your methods and plans are different than our plans. And even those with the highest of IQs scratch their heads because how you act and what you do puzzles us. Lord, we know that this letter is inspired. We know that the Apostle John were one of the 12 guys that you spent three years with. And John saw you do the miracles. He saw you preach and heard your words. He did life with you. And Lord, some 50, 60, 70 years later, He is so enamored with you. My prayer is that I would see you like he did. My prayer for this church 
is that we together would see you. That we would nurture our relationship with you. That we would reflect you well wherever we go. God, that's what you do. You love us. You died for us. And you want to give us life abundant and eternal. We thank you. We do. Father, one of the things we've been pouring our heart out over these last weeks is Ukraine. We pray for peace. We pray for the people of Russia and for Ukraine. We pray, Father, that this war would end. We pray for those who have lost loved ones, those who are sick and those who are maimed and and families that have been split. We pray, dear God, by your mercy and grace that you would be exceptionally close to these folks. We pray for those churches around us. We are so grateful again, God, for those places that are proclaiming your word and are worshiping you. We are grateful, Father, for all of the churches in the states and all over the world. But again, it's hard not to think of those in Ukraine right now. They've been split up. They're meeting in homes. But they're glorifying you and they're trusting you. And and we pray, Father, that we as a church would do the same. We know there are kids downstairs and there are teachers. And we pray, Lord, that as they proclaim your word, that our families would be strengthened and our kids would learn who you are. At an early age, they would be enamored with you and fall in love with you and desire to serve you. We thank you for those who are making that sacrifice and teaching our kids. For all the small groups that meet, for all the folks that meet with our kids and children throughout the week, We ask you, dear God, that you would strengthen them and you would empower them and they would see you more clearly. We ask today as we finish up this letter that, God, you would be glorified, that we would understand what it is that we need to hear today. We are grateful for the blessings you give us. And ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen. If you would turn your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to be closing out this letter as I shared with you. If you don't have your Bibles, you can read up on the screen. But let's listen to John's conclusion. 1 John chapter 5, starting at verse 13. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. And we are confident that He hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases Him. And since we know He hears us when we make our requests, we also know that He will give us what we ask for. 
If you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death. And I am not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God, and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come, and He has given us understanding, so that we can know the true God. And now, we live in fellowship with the true God, because we live in fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and He is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Once again, you can sense, sense what is important to John. But I bet a few of those verses caught your eye. Let's look at just these last few verses before I summarize the whole letter for you. So 1 John chapter 5, starting at verse 13. John writes this, I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Do you know it is possible for everyone on this planet to know whether they have eternal life, whether they know when they shut their eyes on this planet that they will be ushered right into God's presence. Believers can be confident of their destiny. This isn't only just for old people or folks that are uh, struggling with disease. It's for everybody. Because of God's word and because of the transformation in people's lives, they can know, they can be confident of their salvation. Now, every child of God doubts their salvation at times. There's no doubt. In fact, some of you, especially when you were younger, you may have come to faith, received Jesus as your Savior a hundred times. Every time there was a message, you'd have your hand up there or you'd talk to somebody and you'd, well, I just want to be sure. I just want to be sure I'm part of God's family. But the Bible says in chapter 5, verse 1, you can just look back there a little bit. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. Every child of God who puts their faith, or every person who puts their faith in Jesus becomes a child of God. Whoever believes in Jesus is a child of God and has God living in them. John writes to those who have believed in the name or the person of Christ. They've recognized their sinfulness, their lostness, and their need for a savior or a rescuer. You see, putting your faith in Jesus means 
being adopted into God's family. Not just for a day or two, but forever. When you come to faith, the Holy Spirit takes up residence and begins to change you and me from the inside out. You are a new creation, the scriptures tell us, and you begin to think and act differently. So you can know, you can be confident that you have eternal life because God's word says it and because your life reflects it. You know, there's a diagram that perhaps many of you have even used. It's, it's a train, and it's called Fact, Faith, and Experience. And it's one of the lessons that I often use with newer believers. Guys or gals who have come to faith. And you sit there, and you walk with them, and you share with them truths. And maybe you spend... 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 different lessons or times so that they may be able to understand who God is and what decision that they have been made. One of the earliest lessons talks about this. The Bible, the facts, how important it is for you to understand what God has to say. And we put faith into God's word. And then our experience, which at times are pretty good, or is pretty good. Our experience sometimes has tears. Our experience has emotions at times. Other times it doesn't. And it's important for every believer to understand that as they come to faith, that there's going to be times of highs and lows on this journey. And it's important for each of us to know that that doesn't mean you lose your salvation. When you're feeling down, when you're feeling lousy, when things aren't going well for you. Because when God says that you trust Jesus as your Savior and you put your faith in his death on the cross that you are a son or daughter of God forever. Let's continue to read 1 John chapter 5, starting in verse 14. And we are confident that he hears us, God hears us, whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. If you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. Now, John starts talking about prayer right here at the very end. And we've already addressed a little bit about that in 1 John chapter 3, starting at verse 21. John writes this, and we can come to God with bold confidence. In other words, you're a child of God. You're one of his kids. You can go talk to God in verse 22. And we receive from him whatever we ask because we believe him and do the things that please him. Because you and I have a relationship, 
God hears us when we pray. When we're walking with God, God hears our requests. But God is not a genie in a bottle. God is clear that he gives us or responds to us when our asks align with his will. It's hard sometimes for us to understand, but as we spend time with God and our relationship deepens and we understand God's heart and we understand what God's will is because we're spending time with him and in his word, when we pray, we pray accordingly. And when we pray according to his will, what he desires to see happen, what he hopes for each one of us. God answers that prayer. We align our request to his will. Now this brings us to verse 16 and 17. And and to be quite honest, it's verses like 16 and 17 that often derails small groups. Now, I am not against spending time with difficult passages. But sometimes we end up spending the whole night talking about things that are hard to understand or things that we don't understand and forget to look at the things which are really important in that text. Now, everything is important, but but let me address this, at least look at this just a little bit. Uh, First of all, there are a couple ways to interpret these two verses. And we have to ask right away, is John talking about spiritual death or physical death when he uses the word death? We get a little bit of clue right at the end of that set of verses where it says, all wicked actions are sin, But not every sin leads to death. Let me share with you where I land on these verses. I believe John is talking actually about physical death. And and the reason I believe that really comes out of Romans chapter 6 verse 23 where Paul writes this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, What happens, the consequences of sin or the fruit of sin or rebelling against God is death. He's not talking about physical death at this moment. He's talking about spiritual death. You're disconnected with God. You're not hearing from God. You won't bear fruit, God fruit. But it seems clear as you look at the rest of the scriptures that God at times takes a life Because of one's sin. Now these verses aren't here to scare the liver out of us. These verses, though, are to help us understand how God works. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 to 30, Paul told Christians who were abusing the Lord's Supper in the Corinthian church that they were bringing God's judgment on themselves. These believers were taking the Lord's Supper casually. 
And the scriptures tell us that that's why many of you Corinthian believers are sick and weak and have even died. We know in a recent study we've had here that Ananias and Sapphira died suddenly when they lied to Peter in Acts chapter 6. So the discussion then becomes, what is the sin that leads to death? I certainly don't want to do it. Like, is there a specific sin? Well, again, I think that can be debated. But I don't think John, at least at this moment, is talking about a specific sin. I think what John is saying is that I think there is one last sin that shows a pattern to God that you are just not going to repent. And if you're not going to repent, if you're going to live a life running away from me, I'm, I'm going to take you home. You see, my kids are to glorify me. My kids are to grow and, and display fruit. And if you choose not to do that, and you go your own way, And how long does that happen? When does that happen? I don't know. I don't. But I think, again, what does happen is is you can spend your time debating on what that sin is or testing God and saying, hey, you know what? I can do my own thing and run my own path. And and I just think I, I know when to stop. But I know this is that we are not told what sin does lead to death. We aren't. But it's interesting. Before I wrap up and draw some truth out of this, if you look at verse 16, it says this. If you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray. You should pray. You know, I think one of the huge things that that John has tried to say all the way through this letter is that each one of us are part of the body of Christ. And that sin is horrific, and we're going to be looking at that in a moment. And sin hurts you, and sin hurts the church. And when you see somebody who is in sin, running from God, pray. They're deceived. They don't understand how horrific this is. Pray for them. Pray that they would understand and they would respond and they would repent. So what can we say about these texts? First of all, prayer is important and powerful. Pray. Let God actually sort out all the different things. Just pray, especially toward those who are casual toward sin. Secondly, is that there is sin, a form of disobedience that cuts your stay on earth short. I think that should bring a healthy respect of God for all of us. We're here, we're breathing because of God's grace and mercy right now. But God does say, if you run, if 
You choose to disobey me. And that's, well, your life. Maybe you just need to come home. Now, I think John has passionately and consistently talked about sin. And, and we oftentimes don't like doing that. But sin has consequences for you and for me, for our church. But I also don't think that John wanted to end on this note, kind of a heavy note. So he continues in verse 18. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning. For God's son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God, and the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And we know that, God, that the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding so we can know the true God. We can have a relationship with him. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and he is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's heart or God's place in your hearts. Wow. You have a new master, John says. You don't have to keep on sinning. This only results in death and destruction. The evil one has no more authority over you. You are God's kids. You've heard all the way through how sin is destructive. But I want you to know, as, God kid, as God's kids, you have a special relationship. You do not have to listen anymore. Sin is not your master. The Son of God has come so we can have a new, wonderful master. And it's because of Jesus that we can live in fellowship and have a relationship with God. And this relationship means life, abundant now and eternal forever. Now, most of you had picked up a bulletin and most of you have an insert in there that says five truths. And what I tried to do as I went through this letter and looked over these really 12 messages, three months of messages, there were five things that kept showing up. Five things that should ignite you. Five things that should encourage you. Five things that, that stuck out over and over and over again. Now, I'm not going to go through every verse, but what I wanted to do is share with some of you and all of you, encourage all of you to look at these truths. And then even for the next seven days, the next 14 days, just take some time to read through 1 John in one sitting. Begin to soak in and to realize all that the apostle's trying to do. But the first truth, the first truth, and these aren't the only truths, but the first truth that sticks out is you can know God and have a relationship with him. Does that sink in? 
We hear it a lot in this church. You read it a lot. Maybe you hear messages a lot. But does it sink in that the Almighty God, the Creator God, desires a relationship with you and me, and we actually can know him. We actually can grow in this relationship. He actually can talk to us, and we can listen to him. Why? Why would he want that? Why would he want a relationship with me who continually tries to do life his own way instead of listening to our God. But our God is three and our God is one. And all the way through this book, you hear John talking about God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. We hear God the Father described as loving and gracious. We hear about God the Son, Jesus Christ, who is the perfect reflection of God. And even the apostle says right from the very beginning, I lived with him. I saw him. I spent three years with him. And I'm telling you, I am never going to forget who Jesus was. He is the Son of God. He is 100% God and he is 100% human. It blows our minds and we don't understand it, but he's the perfect example of what it means to walk with God. Because in his humanity, he depended wholly on the Spirit. One of the great truths about Jesus is that he's our propitiation and he's our advocate. We've gone over the word propitiation over and over, but but he chose to take the wrath of God upon him on a cross so that each one of us might be able to have a relationship with God. Our debt has been paid. That is amazing. Who would die for you other than Jesus? Shed his blood so you might have life in me. And then an advocate, over and over, talking to God the Father, reminding that in spite of our behavior, that's one of his kids. You see, the Spirit's mentioned all the way through this book. And the Holy Spirit lives in you, guiding you, directing you, convicting you, illuminating. How cool is that? And as I started off, we can have a relationship with him. John, I think, is overwhelmed by that truth. The second truth that comes out all the way through is that everyone who believes Jesus Christ is the child, excuse me, everyone who believes Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior, is a child of God. God loves you. God loves me. And we become part of his family because we put our faith in what Christ did. My sins, your sins are forgiven. I stand before the Almighty clean because of who Jesus is and what he did. And I 
have eternal life. Do, do you deserve that? I, I don't. Do, do you deserve the abundant life right now, the life where we can draw our strength from who God is, trust Him in spite of all circumstances, make sense of this crazy world because our God is in charge and we can trust Him? And then when we shut our eyes, whenever that is, and it's short, even if you're here 80, 90, 100, it's, it's short compared to eternity. For the rest of our existence, we are in God's presence, enjoying God ultimately. We're going to look like Jesus, John said. We're going to have a body like Jesus. We're not going to again, have all the pain and the misery that we have here on this planet. The scripture also says when we come to see Jesus, we're going to be held accountable. And we ought to live our lives remembering that someday God is going to hold us accountable for how we've invested our time, our treasures here on this planet. You know, the third truth, the third truth, if you've read through this book, um, doesn't sit well with most of us. But if we could just understand this a little bit, a little bit better. But sin is horrific. Sin is horrific. And as I've already mentioned, Jesus' blood cleanses us from all sin. We are justified. We stand before God clean. But that sin destroys fellowship with our holy God. So even though we have a position of son or daughter, if we sin or when we sin, our connection is severed. Not permanently, only until we confess our sin. But we live our life apart from God. Our prayers are not answered or listened to. But sin destroys this amazing relationship. And we do life by or on our own. If you've been around here for a while, you're not yoked with Jesus. You're pulling the wagon by yourself. But the good news is, sin isn't our master. Sin does not have, we do not have to obey or submit. There's no doubt that sin is fun for a season. That rebelling against God feels good about being in charge. But really, God who knows everything and God loves you in an unbelievable way, desires only what is best for you. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't I just listen to him, walk with him, respond to him? The fourth thing, the fourth truth is that obedience is critical on the journey. 
as you grow in relationship with God, as you see how amazing and wonderful and gracious our God is. You don't obey him or his principles because you have to, because you're going to get spanked, because you're someday going to stand before him and you don't want to get raked over the coals. You respond to him because you know he is wise and gracious and loving. It's way different. You get to obey. You don't have to obey. And obedience all the way through this letter shows your relationship with God. It shows that you have a relationship with God. You're a new person. You desire to listen to God. Obedience shows your love for God. If you're disobedient, the scriptures say you really don't love God. And what is so cool, it was hammered in as almost chapter after chapter is that obedience enables us to live like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to forgive like Jesus, to reflect Jesus to all those around. We can live sacrificially and supernaturally because of God living in us. And we obeying him. The last truth that I put down is that the enemy is at work. John wanted to make sure that we were well informed about our journey. He said there's, there's folks that will infiltrate the church. And they'll be enemies of the cross. They'll teach wrong doctrine. They'll try to deceive you. They'll be enemies in the world and try to deceive you into their philosophies and how to live, well, according to them. But it ends in death and destruction. He wanted to remind each one of us that we have won the battle. That walking with God gives us strength and perspective and encouragement for the journey. And even when you're discouraged, that you have a hope and a power that comes from God. Now again, it's, it's hard in some ways to put 12 weeks of teaching in 15 minutes. But these are just reminders. These are just times and with text that, that you can go through in your small groups or you can be reminded of all that John taught us and wanted us to understand. But where I want to end and how I want to wrap up this whole series is by looking at the last verse in the section. First John chapter 5 verse 21 seems so odd to stick this verse. The last thing he says, he's going through, he's pouring out his heart. There's so many different truths. And what does he say? Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. 
I've talked to you about all these things. In some of your versions, it basically says, stay away from idols. Idols? What, 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 what the, what's he talking about? This is Pastor John sharing his heart, his last few words. And I think what he's saying is this. Don't be deceived. I've poured my heart out in five chapters. You have an unbelievable opportunity to stay connected with God, to walk with Jesus and experience joy, abundant life now. So he says this, don't be deceived. There is nothing, 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 nothing better than Jesus. Nothing. (laughs) Don't you understand that there are going to be things, there are going to be people. The enemy is going to work hard to try to distract you from that relationship. There's going to be good things. It could be a wife, and it could be a husband. It could be a child. It could be your work. It could be service in the church. And all these things are good. It could be your job. You can fill in the blank. But if John were here, he'd be begging. He'd be begging you right now. Begging you. Don't let anything take the place of Jesus. It will never satisfy you, or if it does for a very short time, you won't experience abundance. You'll not understand your purpose. Please, dear children, Keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. As we leave this day, as we recognize again how much God loves you and desires to do life with you, The choice is always ours. It just is. But the guy who (laughs) pastored for 50 or 60 years, who walked with Jesus, who near the end of his life is still so excited about that relationship, is saying, did you get it? Nothing, nothing, nothing is more important than that. Walk with Jesus. Walk with Jesus. And that's our prayer. Not only for me, but for you. You'll treat people differently. You'll spend your time differently. You'll use your money differently. You will. Everything will change. And you will have joy. Let me pray. Father, I ask you that you 
would help us understand how big and gracious and wonderful you are. And that your love for us should overwhelm us. And that your grace that you dump on us, God, we, we don't get it. We don't understand it. Why? Why? But we know this, whenever we come back to you, your arms are open. We love you, Lord. And we want to walk with you. We don't want to be deceived. We don't want anything, good, bad, ugly, to take away from this rich relationship that you're offering. God would we repent if we need to do that. Would we praise you? Would we be grateful? And would you become more of a priority and our own selfishness, our own desires less? God, you proved your love. You showed your love. We just want to say thank you. We pray all these things in your son's name.